on July 3, 2006, National Polygamy Advocate Mark Henkel was interviewed by Linda Valdez for the Arizona Republic. Hello, this is Linda. Yes, this is Linda Valdez. Yes, it is. Hello, this is Mark Henkel with TruthBearer.org, returning your call from earlier. Hi, Mark. Thank you for calling me back. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I just want to let you know, as we do with all media, that this is being recorded, and I want to make sure you knew that and had no problem with that. I don't have a problem with that, no. Certainly. Tell me a little bit about your organization. How, how big are you? Well, we're uh, across the uh, country and actually have uh, international members as well. And five? Uh, we don't develop numbers. Okay. Um. They're, they're basically, uh, when it comes to uh, personal or legal issues, there are reasons behind why there are certain answers that we can't give, such as uh, specifically admitting being a practicing, practicing polygamist, things of that nature. Uh, and the same thing with the uh, numbers and so forth. Okay, can yeah. you give me some sense of how long you've been, uh, you've existed? No, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Sure. Between the organization now, the the the, um, the emails that you send out, let me get this back up here on my screen. Sure. It's, it's propolygamy.com. Correct. Okay, but then you are identified as... Um, as truth, a member of truthbearer.org? The founder of the organization, right, truthbearer.org. Okay. Okay, I can help you understand the difference. Okay. Propolygamy.com is the community's media site that uh, op-eds, press releases, uh, news and reports are distributed to the media. Uh-huh. So uh, those who receive uh, those news articles and so forth are media reporters themselves. And according to the message I received from you, apparently uh, you're on that list. Apparently I am, yeah, I have been for a while. Okay, then that would imply that uh, you've written about polygamy in the past. I have. And uh, it was a matter of letting you know what the uh, the real pro-polygamy view is. And that's 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 what the propolygamy.com site is, a distribution of op-eds and press releases and so forth, so that the media can have true information instead of the propaganda. Okay, and, um, and how do you, who, who is handing out propaganda? Well, anti-polygamists. I mean, the, the the argument that it's all about sex, or the argument that that uh, it's all about abuse, uh, you know, the uh, or that it's always Mormon. Uh, it's all just that is simply not a correct statement. Or that uh, polygamy is uh, solely the uh, proprietary interest of Mormonland bubble of Arizona, Utah, and it's not. Uh, you know, the the world is bigger than that geocentric area of Mormonland. Okay. Um. The world is bigger than Colorado City and, and Hilldale. Exactly. Okay. So is, what other, are there other, than there are other religious organizations or religious groups beyond the Mormons that are practicing polygamy? Absolutely. And that's, that's, the, uh, that's the point, is that we are a national organization. Um, Truthbearer.org is actually uh, the organization of a brand new movement of Christian evangelicals. Uh, you may have uh, seen our reports at the uh, the media directory of truthbearer.org forward slash media. Uh, you know, we've been reported at the 700 Club, Washington Times, Newsweek, NBC Today, uh, and a number of other uh, sources as well. And that 
we're coming from a pro-family perspective that realizing that our society has uh, degenerated into uh, abandoned single moms and marriage-phobic player males that are afraid of marriage. And that that's a consequence of... Uh, you know, government being involved in defining uh, marriage in the first place. Just because uh, some individuals apply crimes and may also include polygamy does not mean that all normal consenting adult uh, pro-polygamists are involved in those crimes. You wouldn't ban monogamy because of uh, one or two examples of vicious wife beaters who happen to be monogamist and therefore for the media to keep reporting that uh, the all polygamists are based on a handful of criminals is just as propagandistic. Mhm. Okay. And just as false. Well, how do you how do you deal with the, with the stories coming out of Colorado City and Hilldale? I mean, do you, do you condemn what's going on? Absolutely. Okay. Well, we, and we've made that quite clear uh, that uh, I go through the archives of the. Um, the ProPolygamy.com website with the op-eds and press releases, uh, you'll see, uh, for example, uh, to give you an example, we call Tom Green. Mm -hmm. He is what we call the polygamy Tim McVeigh. That's how despised he is. What he did to, what he did to the polygamy movement was the equivalent of what uh, Timothy McVeigh did uh, to the Second Amendment advocates back in the 90s something that absolutely polygamists have nothing to do with. But we, we, we screamed that from the rooftop, screamed and screamed and screamed it. But the media was too interested in trying to say all polygamy is always Mormon and that uh, all polygamy is Tom Green. And you, you weren't willing to recognize that uh, the little area of Arizona, Colorado uh, doesn't represent the entire world. Well, can you give me some sense of, of, of numbers? I mean, I understand you have a concern about sure. not wanting to well, expose people to I understand. prosecution, but, you know, we, the, the numbers that we hear here, that there's about 10,000 people in the... In the, in the um, One little Hilldale area, right. Hilldale area. There are other right. pockets of polygamy. There is the mm -hmm. Centennial Park group, which right. is completely separate. Well, see, that's, see, again, it comes back to uh, stereotypes. Polygamists are not in some form of a cult group, a breakaway sect, or little type of a community. T typically, what you'll have is individual families scattered throughout the entire country that are not aggregated and that are living very privately and not, uh, not involved in uh, these group mentality things and, and, and uh, such as the Hilldale FLDS system and all that. Well, so, then, are, is it is these individual families, that are they practicing polygamy based on religion or just based on personal preference? It's individual choice, whether it is individual or religious. Understand that there will be, uh, because of the deceitful propaganda of the media, unwillingness to be more than sensationalism, most often because they only want to tell the story and sell advertising dollars, so they want to always tell the, the hype story of Colorado City, that uh, for us to make ourselves public makes us, in, you know, puts us at risk because you keep trying to associate us with the Tom Greens and, and, and all the... Uh, well, I mean, in my own defense, I wrote quite a long piece about the Centennial Park group last year. Okay. And I, I let them tell their story, and I made it perfectly clear that they 
although many of them are related to people in Colorado City and they do not condemn what goes on in Colorado City, they are not mm-hmm. they, they they are not aligned with those right. people. Right. Well, well, here's the thing. Every media journalist has forgotten their English language lesson. And here's the point. Okay. A neutral noun is not modified by a missing adjective. Now, I rest for a moment and let you contemplate what that means. The word polygamy is a neutral word. Uh Just like the word day is a neutral word. If I put the adjective rainy in front of the word day, it means something completely different than if I put the adjective sunny in front of the word day. Do you understand that, right? Uh So the point is the word day, you cannot say all days are alike. A rainy day is not like a sunny day. We agree with that? Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is true. All polygamy is not Mormon polygamy. And But that's the problem, is that keeps on saying that it's the Mormon polygamy, Mormon polygamy, Mormon polygamy. Polygamy existed before Joseph Smith was even born. Joseph Smith came up with his own ideas and his reasons, the presuppositional background for why Mormons practice polygamy is a different issue than polygamy neutral by itself. Okay, so this polygamy neutral... Okay, so let me just go back to the English lesson for a second. Right. The, the, neut- the neutral noun is polygamy and the missing and the, the missing adjective... What is the missing adjective? Mormon. You keep saying polygamy with the, out the adjective Mormon, and you're saying all polygamy is Mormon polygamy. Yeah, well, we don't say that because we have a huge uh, FPL... Uh, F- uh, well, that is Mormon polygamy. No, no, we have a huge we have a huge LDS population in in our area, and they may, they they insist that we make it clear that polygamy is not Mormon. okay. It's well, offshoot, it's a okay. fundamentalist un- breakaway fact. Sure, it's I, not Mormon. I understand the LDS silliness with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but, but we have to back up for this. Okay, Mormon polygamy comes from the invented religion of Mormonism with LDS theory. The idea that, for example, the presuppositions that are Mormon created, the Mormon created presuppositions such as Doctrine and Covenants 132, that exists nowhere in the entire history of the entire world except in the Mormon religion creation of Doctrine and Covenant 132. Mm-hmm. What's that? Which is? What is that? That's where Joseph Smith comes out and says polygamy is the new way, and if Emma Smith doesn't like it, she's going to be destroyed. Okay. Okay. And that's an outrageous, to read it, it's outrageous. Mm-hmm. It is outrageous. So that, that Doctrine and Covenants is considered scripture to Mormons. Mm-hmm. And then Brigham Young, the second leader, comes out with this other Mormon-invented, created theory that there's this idea of a pre-existence of souls. In other words, that souls are already pre-existing in heaven, mm-hmm. and therefore it becomes a duty and obligation for Mormons to have as many wives, to have as many children, so that these pre-existing souls will be born into the righteous Mormons and not into the wicked. Mm -hmm. That is a Mormon-invented theory. Mm -hmm. That is a Mormon, LDS, created doctrine that exists nowhere except through the LDS doctrine. Mm -hmm. So no matter whether the mainstream LDS wants to huff and puff and moan and cry about Mormon polygamy or whatever, if the polygamy has the presuppositional basis of Doctrine and Covenants 132 and Joseph Smith's pre-existence of souls and the third heaven and all that, 
It doesn't matter what the LDS can cry all they want. The bottom line, it's Mormon polygamy. Okay. But you're, but you're talking about a different kind. That's right. Christian polygamy has no connection to the invention of LDS religion. Okay. Where does it, where does it get its authority from? The, re, the Old and New Testament scripture from the first place. The one-man-one-woman doctrine is an invention of the Catholic institution centuries after Christ was on the earth. It, you cannot find it in the Bible. You cannot find it in the Bible. And so understand that the Mormon religion has a reason for why they apply polygamy, but that's their presupposition, and there's problems with that. Certainly, you read Doctrine and Covenants 132, and the idea that if Emma's wife doesn't like it, Emma, you know, Joseph Smith's wife, Emma Smith doesn't like it, boy, she'll be destroyed. That's, that's horrific to read. It is. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're saying the one man, one woman marriage uh, model is a creation of the Catholic Church. It, Catholic institution. I won't say the word church. because th That's right. What is the, I mean, and how does that differ from the Catholic Church? It, it, it is. It, you can call it that, but I don't refer to them as a church because they have oh. they've left Christianity. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You don't you don't dignify them with the name of church. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um. But the, the, here's the here. Let me explain how Christian polygamy. It's a brand new movement since 1994, and here's what happens: the conservative evangelical Christian paradigm is we're supposed to be sola scriptura. Are you familiar with what was called the Reformation? The, the, I'm yeah, sorry? Martin Luther. Exactly. Okay. And that was, the battle cry of the Reformation was that sola scriptura. Are you familiar with that phrase? Say it again. Sola scriptura. No, I'm not. It, it's, a, it's Latin for solely scripture, only the scripture. Mm -hmm. And that doctrine is not supposed to be based on the tradition and invention of man, but based solely on the scriptures. Doctrine comes from the Bible only. And so that's why you're probably familiar with the fact that evangelical Christians uh, consider themselves the Bible is the final word for doctrine. Mm -hmm. That's where doctrine comes from. That's what we believe. That's where we come from. And so the Christian paradigm within the evangelical conservative Christian belief is to teach, and we do teach, that you have to study the Bible, read the Bible, and let the Bible teach. Not, don't let man tell you what to believe. Let the Bible tell you what to believe. And when you read it and study it, and so... The, what will happen is the non-newbie Christians in their own individual churches, whether it be Baptists or Pentecostals or so forth, from, from all the various denominations, individuals will do an honest, serious study of the Bible. And the deeper and deeper and deeper you study the Bible, and I mean really study it, you come to the realization that it is fundamentally impossible, really impossible, to come to the idea that the Bible ever created a one-man, one-woman anti-polygamy doctrine. The first is there's just too many biblical heroes that had more than one wife. Just too many. I mean, you've got Abraham, the father of the faith, had three wives. The twelve tribes of Israel were born of four wives. Moses, the man who wrote Adam and Eve, that very story of Adam and Eve, Moses who wrote the story of one, the, the two shall be one flesh, Moses, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Moses had two wives. And the scripture says that and clearly makes that clear. And so as you look at that, you study it over and over and over. You find the Bible never called polygamy a sin, never condemned any of these great and mighty heroes. David had eight no-named wives. All these 
heroes had more than one wife, you cannot possibly call them perverts and call them lustful and all this other foolishness and yet say you believe in the Bible. So the problem is, is that becomes a contradiction. And so what we're doing is we are continuing the Reformation. That we're saying that as Christians we've got to, if we say we believe all the Bible, what the Bible really says, then this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to believe what the Bible really says. Now, when I say this is what we're supposed to do, I mean it's about believing the Bible. It doesn't mean everybody's supposed to be polygamist. That's not the point. What is, is because we are the standard pro-family conservative Christians, we see the same perils that's gone on in our society. We, we, it, it, the tragic abandoned single moms, the ridiculousness of marriage-phobic player baby daddies. Look at our society. It, it, it's so commonplace. It's such a joke that guys are afraid of marriage. That's ridiculous. Guys are afraid of marriage, and women are raising children as, uh, as single abandoned moms. Yeah, that's a good thing for our society. What has gone on? We've gone crazy. Now, what we're talking about with Christian polygamy is men who really love women and care about women. And the model for Christians is supposed to be husbands following as the example of love and care as Jesus Christ and wives as being as the church. That's not a chest pounder. That's not a jerk. That's a, that's a giver. That's a carer. That's somebody who's trying to help someone be the best that they can be. And so we're talking about an opportunity that can help solve some of the cultural problems of this uh, abandoned single moms and so forth, giving them giving them options. Certainly it would be better to be a, a, a second wife in a caring situation with a good husband that really cares than to, to basically be uh, a hamster in a wheel working just to pay for daycare or forced onto welfare. So we're simply saying that government has no authority to define it, what consenting adults choose to do, and we, we're clear on that, consenting adults. We're not doing the whole underage garbage. What consenting adults choose to do, we're talking about men really caring about women, and those wives that want to work are able to, those that want to stay home, have the freedom and choice to do so. Everybody has that option, has the choices they choose according to their own dynamics and their own family. So we're saying that this is about freedom, and this is about consenting adults and giving women options that our society is destroying right now. Okay, now you're saying that this is a, a new movement since 1994. Right. And, and it is called the, what is it called? Christian polygamy. Christian polygamy. Christian polygamy, yes. You can get the history of that at a website called christianpolygamy.info. Is that also your... your it, it's within our community, yes. Christianpolygamy.info. Yeah, yeah. Right, it has, it has a history link, and you click the link there. It's christianpolygamy.info forward slash history. Okay. Um, well, this, you, you're quite right about not hearing about this. This is not, uh, this is not something I'm familiar with, this, this group. Are you, have you been vocal for a long time? Well, we, we're, uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, principal Voices, you're familiar with them? Mm-hmm. They are that, think of it, the, they're basically the Mormon regional area, and we're national. You know, we've definitely been. Go to our truthbearer.org is our organization's website, uh-huh. and we have a, a direct, basically truthbearer.org forward slash media, and you'll see some of the several interviews we've been uh, and reported about. Uh, the Washington Times, to um, uh, NBC. Uh, the 700 Club, even we, when we were on the 700 Club, they even, uh, while you know it was begrudging, they acknowledged that we're evangelical Christians. We were in Newsweek, acknowledged as evangelical Christians. You know, so it is, uh, this is 
what we are is we are Christians from within all the different churches across the entire country. And this is a, a, a movement about truth, that when we say that we believe as Christians that we believe in sola scriptura, well, then anti-polygamy is a Catholic invention. It is not sola scriptura, so we can't call ourselves Protestants and say that we believe on the Bible. If anything, we're basically allowing ourselves to be Catholic, to accept the one-man, one-woman doctrine only, because that's an invention. And if we say that we're limited government conservatives, well, you can't be calling for big government marriage amendments, because limited government... True conservatism is limited government, which means get government out of it altogether, and that government's only role is as a repository at the municipal level of the public records of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. And then you simply have contractual court enforcement, and that's it. That's the only justification and use for government. And we're talking again, I want to reiterate, consenting adults. Adults. So all the underage things that are going on with Tom Green and FLDS and all that just doesn't apply. Those are subsidiary issues that can be addressed through other issues of law. But government itself has no authority to, to be defining the consenting adult relationship contractual agreements that adults make. Well, it certainly seems consistent with some of the, of the conservative general conservative doctrine, I'll, I'll say that. Well, absolutely, and we'll see, that's the thing is that I've got the soundbite out there. You may have heard it, may not yet, but, uh, well, you, if you're not familiar with us, then you may not have, and that is, polygamy rights is the next civil rights battle. Yeah, I've heard that, okay. and I've heard the one about the, if, if Heather can have two mommies, she should be able to have two mommies and a dad. Well, actually, again, that's, that was the Newsweek article quoting me. Uh-huh. So, so you're talking to the person from there. <laughs> uh, the... The civil rights, the issue is, we're not, we're not, you know, we can be religiously not supportive of the, what we call the biological impossibility of same-sex marriage. But what we're saying is that government shouldn't be defining it either way, and so that if homosexuals want to imagine, you know, that they're playing house, so what? It doesn't matter. But government shouldn't be defining it one way or the other. So we're saying that we, as the next civil rights battle, we bring the solution to end the marriage debate altogether. And that gives a win-win to both sides of the debate. Win-win to homosexuals, because now they believe that they can have equality with those who choose one man, one woman. At the same time, conservatives can save face, knowing that they've got a win, because they're finally getting back to true conservative principles of limited government. Because the bottom line is, is that pushing for a marriage amendment is using liberalism to fight liberalism. And it's using the idolatry of worshiping the false god of big socialist government as the savior of marriage instead of trusting in the one true god that we conservative Christians say we believe. So it gives everybody the chance to save faith, to have a win-win, and finally end this tiresome marriage debate by government once and for all. Okay. Articulate to me exactly what that solution is, then. The solution is to just say that... Uh, it, it's to repeal government. You say you have the solution, but when I say, well, what is the solution? Repeal government's involvement in marriage completely, except back to, and, and it's only limited definition, it's only limited application to being, is at the municipal level as a repository of the public records of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. And then once you've got those public records, 
then it simply becomes the basis for court contractual disputes. Do you follow that? Uh-huh. And that's it. That's it. That's government's only role. Get government repeal government's involvement that all the way back to the municipal level as being nothing more than a repository of the public records of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. Okay, and so then So then homosexuals want to imagine they're married? Well, so what? They're married they they, they make their own consenting adult contractual arrangements. It's not defining marriage, government's not defining marriage and they want to you know they want a playhouse, whatever. You know, anybody's free to have the imagination uh, that uh, the sky is made of purple-pink polka dots. It doesn't mean it is, and doesn't mean government has to recognize it. Okay, but so this would do away with any kind of marriage benefits in, in the tax laws and uh, oh. such as that? And that's an equality for everybody. That brings okay, a... Okay, but that's what you're saying. You would do away with all of that. It well, would well, all... be a contract. Um, of, of certain responsibilities one person to another that could be enforced by a court of law. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, there should not be special social engineering. The idea of using government for social engineering through tax benefits and all that, for, for, you know, for, for the marriage and the unmarriage and all that, that is liberalism. That's not a conservative ideology. Conservatives believe in limited government, not using government for social engineering, because the government that is liberally authorized for so-called, quote-unquote, conservative social engineering agenda can just as liberally be later used to advance liberal social engineering agenda. The real way to prevent being oppressed by anyone's social engineering agenda is to deprive government of the authority to be doing social engineering in the first place. Because that's, un- that's, the, that's the constitutional question and problem in the first place, is government doesn't belong being the social engineer. Okay. Which, again, like you said, is consistent with real conservative principles. Well, yeah, I mean, in, as a practical matter, if these marriages break up and you go then to the court to decide what happens to the children, or how, how does how does Well, you go through your contractual arrangements. So each, each one of these arrangements would have a different context? Absolutely. Absolutely. What the consenting adults choose to do. I understand that, that we have been so spoon-fed socialism and government social engineering that it can be difficult for individuals to grasp the reality of constitutional freedom as it was defined when the country began. And that government's role is not for the defining of social engineering. It's for the protection from the infringement of individuals' rights. That government's role is to protect our rights from being infringed whether it be from other individuals or it be from, uh, from the government itself. You know, so that, that's what government's role is, and that's why we have it, because we, we're not talking about anarchy, because without anarchy, then you can't have a protection of the infringement of rights, from the right. infringement of rights. Well, now, when you, you said that this was the next civil rights movement. Right. And you're spending your, the, your email and, and the article on the, on the website talks about um, religious rights, and you're citing uh, the the, um, the the hallucinogenic teeth. Oh yes, yes, okay. the most recent one, yes. Right, and some others. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm a little confused about are you are you making both arguments, or whichever one is most convenient, or whichever one works, or how, how, which, which is it? Is it civil uh, rights or religious rights? Both. Both. Okay. Ultimately, what we're saying, we're not after legalization, unlike. Uh, homosexual behavior choosing individuals. We're not after legalization. We're after decriminalization. 
again, we're saying government has no authority to define marriage in the first place. Okay, And that we are saying that the anti-polygamy laws for consenting adults is tyranny and is unconstitutional. Now, on that basis, truly the presentation of what dissenting Justice Scalia said in the dissent of Romer v. Evans made it clear that if that's the case, then that must suggest that homosexuals have more rights than polygamists. So out of Justice Scalia's own dissent in Romer v. Evans, it's clear that Romer v. Evans has established a precedent that government may not issue what's called impermissible targeting. That's the whole, that's the premise of the Romer v. Evans argument case, is that laws may not have a impermissible targeting of a class of individuals. Whereas in that case, Colorado's Amendment 2 back in 92, a voter-approved Amendment 2 uh, in Colorado had approved uh, basically targeting homosexuals, and, they, and that was overturned in Romer v. Evans on the basis of this new argument called impermissible targeting. Government may not issue laws that is an impermissible targeting of a class of individuals, in that case homosexuals, but certainly all the anti-polygamy laws are, going, are an impermissible targeting of polygamists. It is going after a class of individuals of consenting adult polygamists. That's the Romer v. Evans argument. Lawrence v. Texas in uh, 2003, again with uh, Scalia's dissent, made it clear that the, the laws that are against uh, consenting adult polygamists certainly cannot hold sway either. In fact, he was even joking with the, uh, the defending attorney in the, uh, the case, saying, yeah, well, who's to say I can't have more than one wife, you blue-nosed bigot? You know, what, what, what consenting adults choose to do in private, government has no authority to be. Uh, intervening, and that was you know the, the problem with all. I mean, I I heard three hours worth of these arguments in in Centennial uh, Park, and and um, I wrote a very sympathetic article. But the, the conclusion was kind of well, that in theory, you know, there's there's theory and there's the real world. But and in theory, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's not my cup of tea, but there are a lot of religions that aren't my cup of tea. And we do, and I and I see a real value in protecting religious freedom in this country. Right. However, in practice, and whether you know, I mean, you need, can't just dismiss all the Mormons, but it, because in practice, what has happened is that a lot of young girls are abused under the name of polygamy. I mean, that's what happens. No, no, no. Secret, these are secretive societies, and they indoctrinate those kids. And, and those kids are terribly abused. Well, you, you, and the boys, because the boys are driven out of the community. Okay, well, you've just issued a couple of things. First of all, what has made them secretive? The idea of creating criminalization out of a problem. Now, here, here's, here's the tragedy that happens for these poor uh, young girls that you're talking about. Here, here's the tragedy. They're, they grow up in a polygamous family. They know... All, excuse me, all of a sudden somebody perpetrates one of these assaults against them. What does, happens for this poor girl? What is she faced with? If she reports the perpetrated crime, not only does she bring the whole court to bear upon the perpetrator, she now exposes her brothers, her sisters, her mothers, her, the rest of her entire family is now exposed so she is forced into that secrecy. Instead of giving her the freedom to be able to report the perpetration, it is the criminal laws that have forced her underground in the first place. And that is tragic, and that is vile, and that is wrong. 
So the idea of using the secrecy of it, that is a consequence of certain areas, but it also is not indicative of what normal consenting adult polygamists around the country do. You cannot use one anecdote to suggest that is indicative of everything all around the country. And again, you're using a Mormon polygamous paradigm that creates an obligation of polygamy on those women. We're not talking about an obligatory doctrine that says you can't get to heaven without polygamy. We're not talking about that. That is, you can address the paradigms and presuppositions for how they apply that. You can address the criminality of underage. You can address all of those side issues, but at the end of the day, the word polygamy itself by itself is a neutral word. And so that's why when we get to the third argument, the third Supreme Court case of Gonzalez v. Ocentra Espirita mm -hmm. that was just decided on February 21st with an 8-0 unanimous decision, that case basically reaffirmed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, and that established that laws that uh, are supposedly religiously neutral, suggesting, for example, the anti-polygamy laws, Government itself has the burden of proof on two levels. First, government has to prove it can justify that it has a compelling interest to ban all polygamy. The neutral word polygamy. Remember that. That means you have to justify not just your little anecdotal examples of that little tiny microscopic community of uh, the FLDS on uh, Hilldale and, and Colorado City. When you look at the entire size of the whole planet, it's a microscope, a microscopic element. You cannot say that that's all polygamy. So now they have to tr they have the burden to prove that they have a compelling interest to ban all polygamy. And then secondly, government then would even even if it could successfully prove that, it would then have to have it also has the second burden of proof, meaning it has to prove this that it can't allow a regime of exemptions. For example, the benevolent model of Christian polygamy. Christian polygamy is about men loving women, caring about women, and helping them be what they choose to be and want to be. We're talking about consenting adults and helping women be what they want to be. A woman wants to work, a woman wants to stay home. It gives them the options they wouldn't have otherwise had. We're talking about real mature men, not going after children and all that business. We're talking about consenting adults, about real men rising up, caring about women, seeing that we're in a society of abandoned single moms, which is ridiculous and tragedy. We should be screaming about that instead of the idea of men who really become mature and care about women and really love women. So... The point is, the government will never be able to prove that it can't allow an exception for such examples of benevolent polygamy forms such as Christian polygamy. And that's why we're saying on a religious basis as well that the new case of Gonzalez v. Ocentra Espirita makes it absolutely true that the anti-polygamy laws cannot be uh, upheld. Okay. Uh, now, let me just back up so I'm sure that, about what I heard you say. That um, now I know that the Mormon polygamy here, you have to have, you need to have plural wives to get to heaven. You're, you said that is not the case in your absolutely correct. Absolutely not. In fact, actually, we say it's First Corinthians seven seventeen that it's only as God would call. So, be it no wife, one wife, or more than one wife, it's only as God would call, and as happens in a natural dynamic. You know, we have we, we, the standard of Christian polygamy. We have a website. Uh, the community has a website called lovenotforce.com. And what that means is, 
that it's become the standard. Love not force is a phrase, and the it, it, it encompasses a set of principles. And the principles are this, that a man must love his wife so much that she herself embraces polygamy willingly and of her own assent. He can't force it. He must never force it. Because ultimately, understand, from our perspective, this is marriage. And marriage is an amazing intimacy of relationship. And it requires a serious level of maturity, especially at just even with just one wife. And so how much that much more maturity and understanding of woman and caring about her and, and having an intimate mental, emotional relationship with that much more a man's got to be capable of doing. So any guy who thinks that he's just going to say, well, you know what, I'm going to go have a second wife, and if the first wife doesn't like it, too bad. Well, we're, that's not Christian polygamy, and we are totally against that. We call that forced polygamy, and we reject that from the rooftops. So we're, we're talking about consenting adults all consenting to the arrangement. And we're talking about love and caring about women and not about oppressing, not about children, not about any of these other issues at all. So uh, the standard of Christian polygamy is love, not force. Okay, and your ideal would be not to have, not legalization, but simply to decriminalize it. Right, Re repeal of government's involvement. Repeal government's involvement. In marriage altogether. Okay, all right. Back, back to that municipal level as a repository of the public records of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. Okay, and then any kind of any kind of sacred ceremony someone might want, they would do that for That's them. a free religion church, exactly. Okay, and you, this Christian polygamy, that's the name of, is this, is this like, does this encompass a number of different doctrines that have polygamy in common, or is it a specific doctrine? We are a cross-denominational Christian movement that simply recognizes we're evangelical Christians and one Baptist in I'll just pick a state we'll say uh, Missouri and some other Pentecostal in his church in we'll say Montana and each individual they study the Bible that the evangelical Christian paradigm tells them, don't believe what any man tells you. Believe what the Bible tells you. Read the Bible, study the Bible, believe God's truth because it is the truth. They will do that on their own, and they will study that, and they will study it deeply. We're not talking about newbie Christians. We're talking about deep studying. And you, they'll go back to the Hebrew and Greek, the original languages of what the Bible was written in, because it wasn't written in English. And one of the ways you can do that is through, uh, not while it's by itself it's not perfect, but the King James Version has uh, a good doorway when you use what's called Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, will give you every single word in the KJV back to the original Hebrew or Greek, and you can find out what the words originally meant. For example, the word adultery originally was in Hebrew called na'af, and na'af meant a woman who breaks wedlock. So if a man marries another woman who is not another man's wife, no woman's breaking her wedlock, hence no adultery is occurring with more than one wife. So they will study, study the Bible deeply, and whether they are, and they'll still be believing their Baptist doctrine. The Baptist will believe his Baptist doctrines. The Pentecostal will still believe his Pentecostal doctrines. But he will come to the realization that this issue of the anti-polygamy one-man, one-woman doctrine 
was cannot be found in the Bible. It absolutely can never be found. And every single argument used to justify it is, is almost silly. In fact, you can read the arguments uh, refuting that at a website called biblicalpolygamy.com, which basically answers every argument in the Bible about polygamy. That's biblicalpolygamy.com. So all of these individual Christians, they're not changing their churches, they're not changing their doctrines or anything of that nature. They're just recognizing that on this issue, the Bible is clear it never created that. And it is wrong to be calling the great heroes perverts and lustfuls and, 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 and all of these things when these were great and mighty men that would hold up uh, as, as great heroes from Moses. Moses wrote the Adam and Eve story. And uh, one of the great ironies uh, is that uh, many of our fellow conservatives will suggest that we need to have a marriage amendment uh, because it goes back to Adam and Eve. And Adam, you know, Adam only had one Eve. Well, you can't use the Adam and Eve argument to justify a marriage argument, a marriage amendment for three reasons. One, Adam and Eve never had a marriage by government. There was never any wedding. It never happened. So you're using government to create a government marriage that never happened. So if you're truly going to use Adam and Eve, you have to say government shouldn't be involved in the first place. Second, Adam and Eve had sons. Now, we know that Cain killed Abel, but Cain and Seth married wives. Where did those wives come from? Were they, they could have been born of Eve, but it's just as possible, because it's all speculation, we have no knowledge, they could have been born of other wives that were made for Adam. We don't know. It's all speculation. We can't make a doctrine one way or the other, and I'm not making a doctrine one way or another, but we have to be intellectually honest to admit it's all speculation, therefore we cannot insist a doctrine one way or the other. And then third, the Adam and Eve story appears in the book of Genesis, and the book of Genesis was written by... Moses and Moses had two wives. Clearly, the author of the Adam and Eve story, who had two wives, knew what he was doing when he wrote that story. And he's the one who had two wives. And you can't suggest that the author with two wives wrote a story creating a doctrine of one wife only. Okay, well, that's an interesting argument. That's a very interesting argument. So where do you go from here? What is your what's your what's your strategy? We have uh, as an organization, we have what's uh, called the uh, Truth Bearer Agenda and the Truth Bearer Mission. Mm -hmm. The Truth Bearer Mission is that we're bringing Christian polygamy to the churches. We're not creating a new denomination. We're not creating a new religion. Like I said, from Baptists to Pentecostals, you know, each individuals in their own churches. And we're not the newbies. We're the regular Bible believing Christians. And we are bringing, we are basically just as Martin Luther did, saying, you know, these are the errors that the church is making. This is what all of us are doing. We're saying this is an error. And it's an error both in terms of trying to create a doctrine that doesn't exist in the Bible, but also an error in violating the principles of our conservatism. Because what we're doing is we're turning to the false god of big socialist government to be the savior of marriage, when instead we should be trusting in the one true God and not have government abominate the doctrine of marriage. And so government shouldn't, because if government has the authority to define it today as one man, one woman, it has just as much authority later to come back and define it for homosexuals. So rather than give government that authority either way, stop letting government have that authority. Let's be real conservatives, and let's end this once and for all, and stop putting ourselves vulnerable to big government oppressing us as Christians. So we're bringing this to our fellow conservative Christians, and that's how we 
accomplish what we call the truth bear agenda. The truth bear agenda is best described within the analogy of a house of cards. Are you familiar with a house of cards? Mm -hmm. Okay. We are kicking out the first floor in the house of cards of anti-polygamy thinking in society. Each floor of the house of cards is a political constituency. It represents a constituency. For example, the very first floor is our fellow conservative evangelical Christians. Of course, everybody is not a, a conservative Christian. We know that. But when we persuade our fellow conservative evangelical Christians, one, that this is extremely scriptural, two, that this is extremely pro-loving woman, especially as we look in our, our, the tragedy of today's societies of abandoned single moms and, and marriage-phobic baby daddy players, uh, males, and three, that this is extremely conservative about being limited government and getting back to true limited government solutions. As we do that, we effectively kick out the house of cards of anti-polygamy thinking because what other floors are there? Well, uh, liberals have to accept consenting adult polygamy because of their tolerance doctrine. Without, there's not even a debate. Tolerance doctrine automatically, by default, requires lib political liberals to accept consenting, non-abused polygamy. End of story. Also, feminists who say that women have a right to choose. Well, if women have a right to choose, then women have the right to choose consenting adult polygamy. And so, therefore, the feminist floor has to come crashing down. Cultural conservatives who would like to see uh, opportunities to help uh, end the tragedy of abandoned single moms and, and helping them get off welfare and stop being, having to be forced into the trap of being hamsters in a wheel working just to pay for daycare or to give up altogether and just go on welfare. This provides solutions. And also the idea of laissez-faire economics. Just because everybody has the freedom to make $500 million doesn't mean everybody's going to. Just because you can allow the freedom for people to have more than one wife doesn't mean everybody's going to. But those who are capable of growing to that level and being that mature, now that provides an opportunity that the phrase, all of the good men are taken, is no longer valid. And all of a sudden, all the jerks out there that are marriage-phobic and baby daddy players and all that suddenly realize Women now have an option, and they're going to lose out, or they better smarten up. Eventually, equilibrium will take place, and they will smarten up, because they'll realize they better smarten up, or they're going to lose. When you, and let me make sure I've got this description right. It's baby daddy, baby daddy players. I'm sorry? Is the phrase you're using is baby daddy players? Yes. Do you know what a baby daddy is? Uh, uh, no, I oh. guess I don't. Okay. Uh, it is a phrase out around the country. I guess maybe it's not used too much there in Arizona. Uh, but it, it's pretty uh, pretty urban. It is basically, it is a phrase that refers to how single moms will refer to, this is my baby's daddy. Oh, okay, 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 I gotcha. So basically men are just more or less sperm donors because they're not committed to the woman, you know, and well, this is my baby's daddy because, you know, you'll have a multiple abandoned single moms and, and they'll have multiple baby daddy fathers. So, ba so the phrase baby daddy is referring to that. Gotcha. Guys not being fathers, not being uh, married uh, dads, they're being baby daddies. Gotcha. Okay. Sperm donors. I mean, this society is sick. I the tragedy, I mean, we have such an overwhelming tragedy of abandoned single moms, and the, this idea of baby daddies and players, you know what a player is? Player. A player. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, basically, it, it's a player is uh, a guy who's out. Basically, he's he's uh, he's out uh, basically out to just fornicate, you know, to to 
women are he's predatory to women to basically uh, uh, you know how many notches he can put on his belt type thing. Okay, a player. A player. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's the kind of males we've been producing with this one man, one woman doctrine all these years. Why? Why does that? Why does the one man, one woman doctrine produce that? Socialism. It is marital socialism. We talk in America about free freedom and all that, but what one man, one woman doctrine is? It is Marxism. It is one for each, so that each might have one. The problem with socialism, and the reason why we rejected it, why we rejected it, why we rejected communism, which is the branch of socialism, is that it removes the incentive for excellence. We believe in what's called free market economics, right? Free market capitalism. And the principle is that when people have the freedom to serve the best, those who serve the best can serve the most, right? Uh. That's freedom. But when you have socialism, imagine, imagine. If we said one customer for one business each, so that each might have one, now suddenly you can't be better. You you have you've, the incentive has been lost to improve and be able to better serve more than one customer. So excellence is removed in socialism. Well, one man, one woman is the same concept on a marital level. It basically says one for each, so that each might have one. Well, you know that's actually in a situation if there was only ten men and ten women, and nine of those men are jerks, that socialism just created tyranny upon nine of those women, because nine of those women have to settle for the jerks, instead of the principle of those who would be smart and, and, and uh, grow and care and find out how to better serve women, would certainly have more women not because it's about them having, but rather them serving and caring and therefore attracting that more would want to attract to that. And then once the other guys realize, boy, I better smarten up. Because if I don't smarten up, if I don't improve, and that's why competition is good for an economy, and that's why competition is good in terms of laissez-faire economics in a marital setting. Because it creates an incentive for men to improve their husband qualities. To, I, better be, I better get good. Because if I'm not going to be a good husband quality, I'm not going to get anything. I'm not going to find any woman because no woman's going to want me, and the good men are going to get them. But now, if you get socialism, well, I don't have to worry about it because, well, you know, that guy's really, really good, but you know what? Socialism only lets him have one wife, so uh, no other woman is going to ever be able to get to him, even though they might want him, they can't. And so, therefore, well, I can do whatever I want because that's what socialism lets me do. Socialism lets you be negligent of growing. Well, it's not a case where they where where those ten men and ten women tear up, even if the ten men are jerks. I mean, those ten jerks just go about their business. Why is that? And I mean, so I mean, it, it just seems like kind of a hole in your theory. It's still, there's still the, the the ten women can still compete, if you want to put it that way, for the for the best of the men. No, no, that's not the point. That's not the point. You have. What is the point? I mean, but, but, I mean, it doesn't automatically mean that they're settling for less just because they. Uh, well, then that. Because what, none of the men are jerks. Well, the thing is here is that you either believe in free economics or you don't, and if you're a liberal, you either believe in Darwinism or you don't. The point is, is that the best, those who would be the best, because. If we step back for a moment and stop applying the propaganda of thinking about it's all about forced on women and all that kind of a thing, we're talking about what intelligent, 
consenting adult women choose to do. If suddenly tomorrow every polygamy law was lifted by the books, you and I both know for a reality it doesn't suddenly mean every single woman is going to become a new polygamous wife. That's just not going to happen, right? All we're talking about is the freedom for those who would then choose that. That's what we're saying, and that's why we're simply saying get government from interfering with those free choices. It doesn't mean suddenly society is going to turn into only a handful of men have all the women. That's ridiculous, because that suggests that all our women are, aren't intelligent and can't make their own decisions. That's ridiculous. Women are wonderful and have a great amount of, uh, of intellect and, and heart and, and care. The point is, our society is so sick. We have too many abandoned single moms and too many baby daddy player marriage-phobic males. The joke is men are afraid of marriage. That is, that's a standard. You turn the television on, that's the standard joke day and night and day and night and out. That's the big joke. Men are afraid of marriage. Men are afraid of marriage. Men are afraid of marriage. Yes, I'll agree with you. And that's, that's, that is mentally challenged to be politically correct. And use other words that's not meant to, uh, politically correct. That is ridiculous that we have men who are afraid of marriage. And so now, all of a sudden, we're talking about Christian polygamists who are ultra-family, pro-family, care about women, and see this great tragedy. See, these women are being forced as a hamsters in a wheel to work just at a daycare or give it all up and just go on go on welfare okay well let's let's, let's that's ridiculous let's, let's play out your scenario if you if if government is completely out of the marriage business and this is and this comes down to contracts between consenting adults so you you've already said that that's okay then if the, if homosexuals want to want to marry under that scenario that would happen i'm saying if they want to imagine that they're married i mean they they're just making contracts too but if they want to imagine in their own mind they're married then you know they're they're free everybody has the right to imagine foolishness all right if they want to imagine as you say it mm -hmm. that they're married so does that also include women that want plural husbands Limited government-wise, the answer is to that, of course. It's not government's decision to make either way. So whether I believe or support in that religiously is irrelevant, given the limited government position that government shouldn't define it either way. So if that was to be, to be some kind of a contractual arrangement that those adults would were going to choose to make and imagine for themselves, well, then that's the arrangements they make. So again, whether I intellectually support it or not is irrelevant government isn't there to define a social engineer it. It's just merely to be the repository of the public records of the contractual arrangements that those consenting adults make. Okay, so government would not get involved in that one way or the other. Right, whether I support it or not is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. okay. Just like it's none of your business whether I have more than one wife or not. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I see what you're saying. Okay, well, um, this has been an interesting conversation, and I am really glad that you called me back. I oh! Is this going to be uh, an upcoming article, or what I'm is the purpose of this? A, I'm working on a column that should run on Sunday. I'm sorry? I, I'm working on a column that should run in the Arizona Republic on Sunday. Okay. So, yeah. At this, at this point, that's the plan. Super! Well, uh, like I said, we're, you know, we're on the, uh, uh, the more national level, so there's definitely a, a broader array from uh, outside of your uh, specific Mormon land geography. 
and certainly. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, I know the issues with Centennial Park is that a lot of their they're reluctant to, uh, and I, you know, a lot of the arguments I heard from you, I heard from the folks at Centennial Park. I'm sure you know those folks, um, and they're good arguments. Some of them are pretty good arguments. The the weakness, the huge flaw in in their argument though is that they refuse to criticize what's going on in Colorado City. I mean, you said that you do condemn it completely, but you know, I. That there is a huge reality going on there, and um, you know it is the elephant in in your room, so to speak. Well, not but you can't ignore it. You can't just write it off and say, "Oh, well, that's just those crazy Mormons." But but here's the thing. For example, when you go to uh, the Newsweek article about us, mm-hmm. uh, and go to our website, uh, talk about it, because you'll get the issues about the interview and so forth. They interviewed the Centennial Park. Uh, uh, Mary at uh, Principal Voices and myself. Mm-hmm. That is the equivalent of asking, of interviewing a mayor, a governor, and the president of the United States. What one mayor in one little town does is certainly not definitive of what's going on throughout the entire country. Mm-hmm. And so using Centennial Park cannot be definitive of what's going on through the country. The, the thing is, is, it's not the elephant in under the tent, although I appreciate the analogy that you're trying to portray there, and I, and I appreciate you trying to uh, reach out and understanding to me, and I do appreciate that. For us, it really isn't. It, it's only that as the Mormon-centric media of the Mormon land bubble, and that's the whole... Arizona, Utah, Colorado area that wants to basically, it, it, it's almost like a uh, uh, a geographic egotism of we want, as much as we want to say that we don't believe in polygamy, m- meaning the, you know, the, the, the Mormon land media, mm-hmm. you want to own the definition of polygamy, say, well, this is where it's all about, because this is where it is, and we are the whole definition. So it's like you're prideful of being the definition of polygamy, while at the same time you criticize it, and you don't want the rest of the world to know that there's more polygamy outside of your little geographic area of the country. Well, and you, okay. Because I've done many interviews with your with your area, and and you guys just don't want to hear us. Okay, but you you can give me some some sense of numbers. What you're talking about of this many these many well, people outside of our area that are practicing polygamy. Well, I would say there's less than a hundred thousand around the country. Less than a hundred thousand. Yes. Well, that could I mean, and more than seventy-five thousand. I'm not going to get too specific. Well, that's not very specific. I know. <laughs> I had. That could mean two people. Oh golly, God, God. yeah. <laughs> it's bigger than a bread box. <laughs> so that's as specific as you'll get. That's that. <laughs> yes, it is. More, uh, more than fifty thousand. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would say that. More than fifty thousand. Yes. And, and, and I would also say, uh, well, again, I'm not going to go back into numbers again. Another misrepresentation is that uh, beyond the question of practicing polygamous is that you cannot define the pursuit of polygamy rights solely by practicing polygamous mm-hmm. because that's like saying uh, Rosa Parks Rosa Parks 
was uh, stood up and and was not going. Well, actually, he didn't stand up. She wasn't going to stand up, right? That was the whole point uh, on the in the bus. But she's the one. She actually did what she did and took a stand by staying seated mm-hmm. and was not going to move to the back of the bus and that whole thing based on that. Right. But that's not to say that there weren't hundreds and hundreds of other genuine African Americans who believed just as much as she did, but they acquiesced and didn't, and always, excuse me, and always did go back to the bus. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they didn't want their rights, right? Mm-hmm. Of course they wanted their rights. She just happened to have the courage to stay. And that's not to suggest, therefore, that all of them were somehow not part of that civil rights movement and not caring about wanting their freedom to no longer be oppressed. And that's the case also around the country. You cannot define, and this is also even more so why it's even more difficult to get a real uh, handle on the numbers, is that you cannot define the polygamy rights movement solely by the numbers of practicing polygamists because there are also even that many more multiplied of individuals that want the freedom of polygamy rights, whether they are practicing that yet or not. Mm-hmm. Just as much as there were sincere African Americans who wanted the same freedom that uh, Rosa Parks just happened to be doing. Gotcha. You follow me? Gotcha. And, and so, and that's another uh, egregious error that the media keeps making and keeps trying to suggest, is that it's somehow, you know, you can only define it by the practicing polygamists. And that's just not correct either. Okay, if I, if I'm following your line of thinking, if the government gets out of the the business of defining marriage, right, and this becomes a contractual thing, and and people can practice polygamy or not polygamy, they write they write their own contracts, they deal with this on a, on a personal level, then the 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 um, the Mormons. The fundamentalist Mormons who are raising and coercing young girls into these situations would somehow lose the protection of secrecy? Is that, I mean, is, is there any way where those girls benefit from this, I guess is my question. Well, Bottom line. the difference is that polygamy and underage are two separate issues. Right. And you can still criminalize the underage issue. And so you can still pursue that. But now, where polygamy is no longer going to put the poor girl's family at risk, now she's got the freedom to say, police, will you please come in here? I've been perpetrated against. And she doesn't have to fear that the rest of her family is going to be torn apart because of polygamy abuse laws, anti-polygamy laws. She's now got the freedom to report the abuse. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It makes sense on one level. Again, this is the this is the difference between theory and practicality. It makes sense in theory. It's just that these kids these these kids are raised to believe that they have to do what the prophet tells them to do. Well, I understand, but you know something? That's not the problem of polygamy. That's the problem of a cult. Right. Any cult, whether polygamy is involved or not. That's, that, that kind of control is a cult problem and deal, can be dealt with through cult laws. Just, I mean, how, how do we deal with other cults? You see what I'm saying? But the point is, that's not polygamy as the issue. Polygamy can be removed from that discussion. And now you've got issues of cult control. And now what are you going to do with the cult controls? And that's separate from polygamy altogether. 
Okay, but if you've got this, if you've got this government, uh, this this conservative government that stays out of people's lives, then how do you have laws against cults? You, you say that? I remember, government's only legitimate purpose is the protection of the infringement of rights. So where people's rights are being infringed, that's where there is a legitimate place for law to exist, such as the perpetration of crimes against young girls, such as forced. Uh, you can't have a forced contractual arrangement. Contractual arrangements under coercion are void under law. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So okay. all these are other... But you can and do have situations where people are brainwashed into well, the time they're babies to believe this is, this is the natural order of things. Well, I, I can just... I agree with that, but same thing that uh, most people have been brainwashed with the deception that anti-polygamy is, uh, is inherently wrong, when actually we're talking about men who really care about women just because a few short criminals in a few places have done criminal things and that's the only time the media ever wants to pay attention to it, that doesn't mean that's what the reality is. And so I, I agree with you. We can work together and we can go after these problems where people's rights are being infringed. Polygamy is not the problem. The cult control issue is the problem. And deal with that. And again, government's legitimate role is the protection from the infringement of rights. So individuals' rights being infringed, that's where government has a valid function. And protecting, uh, protecting girls from having their individual's rights uh, infringed absolutely is a legitimate function of the government. Coercion, forced arrangements and all that, absolutely. So the problem of a cult is another issue separate from the issue of polygamy. Okay. Okay, Mark, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate this. It's been a very interesting conversation. Super. I appreciate talking with you. I hope I didn't offend you with that last bit. No, I don't think so. Okay, well, I just, that was so abrupt, I was wondering if oh, I... Oh, no, no, no. No, it was not abrupt. I, it was not abrupt. No, you didn't offend me at all. I, I, I'm, 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 I may not agree with you, but it certainly has been an interesting conversation. Well, I appreciate that, and I, uh, when will I hear about your uh, article? You think it'll be out Sunday? It'll be online? Yeah, it should be on, our, our website is a az Central. Okay. Dot com. Okay. And then, um, oh, let's see. Well, I guess you go to print edition, and then you would go to viewpoint. Viewpoint. I think it may come up. I mean, you know, these things, these things don't always work like they're supposed sure. to. Sure. If you go to AZ Central, you should be able to just do a search of my name, and it should come up. I understand. Okay. Uh, and I did want to uh, make sure that when you uh, spell our organization's name out, mm -hmm. um, it is uh, both the T and the B are capitalized. Okay, and it's all, but it's all one word. Truthbearer.org. Yes, and not .com. Please make sure you get the O-R-G. Okay. It's so it's truth T R U T H bearer B E A R E R dot org, and it's but it's all one word, but the B is capitalized. And the T, correct. And the T. Yeah, okay. Well, obviously, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yes. I will. I will. Right. I will uh, make a note to the copy desk and hope that they listen to me. I, I appreciate that. Um, and also that uh, you know we're not some little group, whatever. We're we are a cross-denominational organization. We're not creating a new religion and, and or anything of that nature. Okay, and you are you are best identified as the founder of uh, the yeah, I'm, uh, uh, the organization, right? I'm, I'm the founder of the Truthbear.org organization. Okay. Yes, right. I'm also uh, the established national polygamy advocate on a, uh, on a 
you know, I, as a function of being the uh, head of this organization, I've also uh, uh, wear the hat as the National Polygamy Advocate. National Polygamy Advocate. Right. Okay. Have you been? Have you gone to Congress? We have. Uh, we, I'm going to end up spending another uh, 20 minutes giving you a description of uh, our details and the gender and so forth. <laughs> Can you just say yes or no? You've no. gone to Congress. We are building the constituency. Can you, uh, who have you talked to? How much time do we have here? Well, I mean, you, you were trying to, uh, to, to have us end this. I mean, uh, I, I can't give this to you in, in a few seconds. Go ahead, tell me. Are you there? I am. Yeah. I, I think that uh, at this point, that I'm just I'm just going to stop where I've stopped. Okay, I've got plenty of time if you want to tell yeah. me about who you've talked to in Congress. We are building a constituency uh, that will make it possible for the politicians to have the political cover to repeal government's involvement in polygamy. In what time? And that's what I will say. Okay. Um, right. That's what that's what that's what I will say. Okay. Because I'm not going to uh, um, put okay. vulnerable relationships at risk right now. Right. Okay. I can understand. So you're building a constituency that would make it possible for politicians to have the political cover to do what? To repeal government's involvement in polygamy laws. Okay. Government's involvement in polygamy laws. Basically, to repeal it. You know, basically, to repeal all polygamy laws. You know. Okay. Because we're after to our agenda is decriminalization. So basically, to get government out of it. But we obviously have to uh, we have to give the politicians political cover to do so. How how do you give them political cover? That's an extraordinarily comprehensive answer. <laughs> uh, return to the uh, House of Cards analogy. Okay. And we are kicking out the uh, the first floor in the House of Cards. All right. All right. Well, it, it, it will be interesting watching your development. Yes. Because the thing is, Anders says, we are a growing movement of fellow conservative evangelical Christians. And right now, it's like our fellow conservative Christians are infected with liberalism, uh, of the big government use to solve a problem. They're using liberalism to fight liberalism, using big government to fight big government. And we are bringing a, a pure, fresh water of conservatism back to the principles of real limited government in the first place that we always say that we believe in. And that's why we are spreading, because we are we remind our conservatives of what real conservatism is and remind our Christian, fellow Christians of what the Bible really says. And therefore, you know, we're, we're a rapidly growing movement. And the reason why now, why since 1994, is the Internet made it possible that technologically it was never possible before for individuals, a Baptist in their one state and an evangelical in another state and, and hundreds and hundreds like that throughout the entire country, thousands and thousands, being able to actually find each other and realize that they're not alone. And the Internet is what made this movement possible, and that's why now. Okay. Super. Thank you. And I, uh, I look forward to seeing what you come up with. All right. Thanks, now. You take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Mark Hankel is National Polygamy Advocate.
presenting polygamy to the public since 1994. National Polygamy Advocate.com